are now listening to an awesome sermon from the St. Louis Dream Center. Grab a pen and some paper, you're in for a treat. A few years ago, I was reading a book called The Spirit-Filled Life by Charles Stanley. And in this book, he tells the story of this millionaire who was making a decision. He had had a man come along his path and he said, listen, I want you to invest in this company, invest in this business. And this millionaire took about $500,000 of his money to start investing. At the time he was writing the check out, he just, man, something just didn't feel right. Something just didn't seem right. But he kept writing the check out and And still, he had no real, he knew now to call it peace about moving forward. He wrote the check out and then subsequently gave more money. And within six months, he had to file bankruptcy because all the investments had gone bad. He's asking Charles Stanley for a meeting and he sits in Charles Stanley's office and begins to talk to him. And he's saying, why didn't God stop it? Why didn't God stop me from making that investment? Why, why did he allow me? Because the man ended up filing bankruptcy. He said he spoke to you because you were uneasy. It was his lack of peace that was saying to you, don't go forward, don't do it. But he became angry because he's like, well, why didn't God just stop me? He's like, he was stopping you. How many of us are mad at God or have been mad at God for a decision we decided to make and we wanted him to co-sign? And because he didn't co-sign on our decision and we went through heartache and frustration, we're like, where were you, God? And God's like, I told you not to go. He said, maybe I didn't come down in a lightning bolt. And maybe I didn't send thunder to tell you not to go. But that sense in your heart where you didn't feel peace. Where you felt uneasy. He said, that was me talking to you. And we often get mad because we feel like God should be a dominator or a dictator. When God's a gentleman, he's not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to make you do anything. But what he does is he speaks to us in subtle, soft ways to get us not to make certain decisions. If I were to poll this room, I bet almost everybody in this room have walked through a decision that they made without the counsel of God, and they're paying for it today. Because here's the thing. There is God's blessing, and then there are curses. And God blesses. He doesn't curse you. The curse is already in the earth when Adam and Eve sinned. So if you don't follow the blessing, you're living under the curse. Let me help you a little bit, because I know that sounds kind of strong on a Sunday morning when I just got back from the DR. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 through 6 says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. Blessed shall be your ground and the fruit of the cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. See, in Old Testament times, it was about agriculture. In New Testament time, it's about commerce. So you can replace a cow or a storehouse with your bank account. You can replace the increase of your herds with what your daily sustenance is or your job is. And then he says in verse 6 that not only that, but I'll bless you when you walk in the door and bless you when you walk out the door. If you obey my voice. There is a blessing attached to God's voice. But listen to the uh, part in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Or be careful to do all his commands and his statutes that he commands you this day. Then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And he says, for every blessing that I was going to give you for obeying my voice, there is a curse attached for not obeying it. He says, even if you listen to my voice, obey it. Your enemies will come at you one way. Flee from you seven ways. He says that I'll bless all the works of your hand and everything that you set your hand to. Says that you'll be the head only and not the tail, above only and not beneath. He says when you obey my voice and you listen. So think about this then. When he talks about not obeying his voice and the curse being on your life, he says you'll be below only and not above. Everything that you touch won't work. And you wonder, well, wait a minute, if God loves me, why would he do this to me? See, God doesn't have to do anything to you for you to walk in the curse. We're born into the curse. But what God has to do is he has to have people who are willing to listen and obey his voice for them to walk in the blessing. You know, when Kelvin was talking about the offering or about the tithe, it's interesting. We read that part in verse 10. That if you pay your tithes, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing you won't have room enough to receive. Said he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. That's the blessing. But we forget about reading 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Because if you rob God, you are cursed with a curse. God isn't cursing you, but at the moment you say, God, I can't give you my tithe. It isn't about how much he loves you or how much he cares for you. He set up principles, kingdom principles, to help us walk in the blessing. So it's like, God, why can't I get ahead in things? Well, what you doing with the ten? Why does it seem like I can't get promoted? Why does it seem like I can't move ahead of my finances? What you doing with the tent? Because what you do with the tent determines if you walk in the blessing or you walk in the curse. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Oh, it ain't about being fair. It's about listening and obeying. And you know, it's interesting that I believe this with all my heart. The quality of your life. Is not based on the condition of your circumstances, but based on the condition of your surrender. Your circumstances can't determine how much you're blessed, but your surrender can determine how much you're blessed. Because we like to do this. When there's a war, there's this thing called unconditional surrender. 
And when a group unconditionally surrenders, that simply means that there's like, we don't have any conditions. You don't need to do A, B, C, or D. We just surrender. But like our surrender looks like this. God, if you do this, I'll fully surrender. If you do that, I'll fully surrender. God's like, I'm not interested in your conditional surrender. He says, I'm interested in a full on unconditional surrender. What does that mean? That means I yield my everything to you, God. Selah. My money, what college I'm going to, what high school I want to attend, who I decide to marry. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not my decision, God. It's your decision on who I marry. Can I tell you this? When you let God decide things, it changes everything because he's thinking about needs that you have that you don't even know you have yet. When God can decide who your mate is or decide what your job is or decide where you live, God is out in front of you. He's already making crooked places straight for you that you can't even see a crooked yet. But when we decide we're going to do our own thing and live our own way, we are caught having to pay for the way we think and the way we want to live. When I was in, well, let me ask this question. Have you ever wrestled with God? Like, has God ever asked you to do something? You're like, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. I can't even see where that's going to benefit me. Have you ever wrestled with God? See, that's about four people. Everybody else is lying. (laughs) Because it's one thing, the person on this end of it, you're not wrestling with God because you don't care. You're going to do what you want to do, how you want to do it, the way you want to do it. So there is no wrestling match with you and God, because if God don't agree with you, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. And then there's a super spiritual person over here that says, no, I never wrestle with God. Every time he speaks to me, I do exactly what he says, how he says it, when he says it. Shut up. You don't. We all live in a constant wrestling match. When God tells you to do something and you can't see the benefit. When God tells you to go somewhere and you don't know how it's going to work out. Can I tell you this? The wrestling match is actually a sign that you're growing up. See, he will make, the enemy will make you feel like, oh, yeah, well, you're supposed to be so spiritual. And you're supposed to be so this. And you're supposed to be so that. The devil is a lie. The fact that I'm in a wrestling match with things that I didn't wrestle with once before, that is evident that God is growing me up and I'm ready to move to the next level. Oh, that's, oh, you can clap better than that. Come on. Because we all enter this wrestling match. When God is, he says, hey, you don't need to be seeing her. You don't need to date him. I know the job's going to pay you more money, but don't take that job. Don't tell me when God speaks those things to you that you're so easily jumping in and saying, okay, God. No. There was a wrestling match. I was in the DR, and there was this woman that walked up, and I had prayed for her, and, and God had given me a word of knowledge for her. And he had given me that word, and I'm just like, she's not going to receive this. This is really weird. And I'm, I'm like, and it's all happening in a matter of about a minute. I'm just having this internal conversation with God. I'm like, I already prayed for her. She should be good. I'm just doing all this stuff in my head. 
And I can sense the Spirit of God telling me to tell her that he loves her, that she's his jewel, and that she's not an accident. And that was the part I got stuck on when he told me to tell her she's not an accident. Because, like, I don't know her. I'm on the other side or, or south of the border, whatever you want to call it. I don't know her story. I don't know nothing. Is she going to slap me for saying she's not an accident? I don't know nothing. And in that moment, I'm in a wrestling match. Can I tell you? I'm praying for her in a wrestling match. While words are coming out of my mouth, the spirit of God is speaking to my spirit. And I'm like, internally, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm like, Lord, heal her, deliver her inside. I'm like, I don't want to say that. Don't ask me. And do you know when I opened my mouth and I spoke, God says he loves you. You're his jewel. You're not an accident. And as I'm saying the words in English, before the translator is able to say the words in Spanish, she is already in tears, shoulders hunching. She gave me the biggest hug when it was over because she needed to hear that. See, I found something out in that moment. When I decide not to obey God's voice, it not only hurts me and hurts my family, but it hurts somebody else that needed to hear what God wanted them to hear. And we can get in the way of what God wants to do in the lives of, you know what? We can get in the way ourselves and we can get in the way for others. And so I learned this principle years ago. And this principle has helped me tremendously in being able to hear God's voice and to do what God says doing. It's called the principle of becoming neutral. See, principle of becoming neutral simply means I no longer care about my will being accomplished. That when I'm faced with a decision or faced with something that God tells me, that I shift my heart to this place where it's like, God, if this is what you want me to do, if this is what you want me to give up, I no longer care about this thing as much as I care about you. So I remember Angie and I were making the decision, and you've heard this before, but not in this context. We're making the decision about, do we move to Chicago? Do we stay in St. Louis? And we go to Chicago and visit, and we feel like we fit. We feel like it's God. But we come home, and we're like, oh, wait a minute. What about the kids? What about school? What about Angie's job? Where are we going to live? And our minds start swimming with all of this stuff on, okay, God, what are you going to do with all of these things? And I remember that Sunday night, man. I was in a wrestling match because I'm like, I'm I'm struggling with this, God. I don't even see how this could even work. And you're telling us to go somewhere that we don't even know anybody. And that whole Sunday night, I spent wrestling with God. What do you, I don't want to, but I sense you want me to. I don't want to go, but I sense you want me to go. And I had to do this thing that I'm telling you. I had to shift my heart into neutral. And I had to say, God, no matter what you tell me right now, That's what I'm going to do. If I like what you want, if I don't like what you want, whatever you say in this moment, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I remember waking up and I made a phone call and God confirmed to me the next day on exactly what he wanted me to do. And I said, well, wait a minute. I sense this, but where is this in the Bible? And this is where the story of Jesus comes in. Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane in verse 20, no, in verse 36 of verse of chapter 24, it's a place that he went to pray all the time. It was his prayer closet, his prayer room. And as he's in there praying, he, he's like, okay, this time is different. 
And he takes disciples with him and he begins to talk to them about what's about to happen. And he says, listen, I need you to stay here and I need you to wait for me just one moment while I go pray. And Jesus goes in to pray in this place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is known for his oil presses because what they would do in that time is they would take the oil or they would take the olives, crush the olives and make olive oil with them. So Jesus is in a place of pressing. He's pressing because his will is not to go, but he knows the father's will is that he go. Have you ever been there yourself? Where God is telling you to go somewhere or do something and everything in you is screaming, I don't want to go. This is where Jesus was. And as he's sitting there, he's praying and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And as he goes a little further, he says, Father, I know we've talked about this from the beginning of time. I know that this is thousands of years in the making. I get all of that. But right now we're here and my soul is overwhelmed. He says, if there is another way to do this, Father, can we do it? Yet not my will, but your will be done. He says, Lord, Father. There's got to be another way. And this is what Jesus was saying. I don't want to go to the cross. See, all my super spiritual people that said they never wrestle with anything, that said they never struggle with anything God told them to do, if that's you, then you're better than Jesus. Because Jesus is there. He, and you got to understand who Jesus is. He is a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God, fully human, fully divine. So his humanity is speaking out. And he's saying, is there another way to do this the first time? Yet not my will, but your will be done. And he said, well, man, there's still too much of me left. Let, let me, let me go back again. And he goes back a second time. Father, if it's possible, can we do this another way? Yet not my will, but your will be done. And say, ah, I still need some more. Because what was Jesus doing? He was going through the process of dying to his will and coming alive to God's will. And he said a third time, okay, here we go. Here we go. If there is another way to do this, God, do it. But if not... Your will be done, not my will be done. See, here's the power in that moment. Your feelings are going to tell you not to do it. Your thoughts are going to tell you not to do it. And they're lying to you because the only thing that matters in that moment is, God, what are you telling me to do? And we, don't, we haven't gotten to that place of surrender in our lives. We conditionally surrender to God. God, if you give me this man, I'll live for you. All the days of my life. If you give me this woman, I will, I will serve you. If you give me this job, we love those foxhole prayers. When we say, God, if you meet my conditions, I'll meet your condition. God said, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for you to come all the way over to my condition. Whether you can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, or smell it. You may not even know how this is going to turn out. But he says, I want you to be unconditionally surrendered to me. So I want to give you these couple of things that helped me 
when I was walking through that. There are these keys to helping your heart become neutral when it comes to when God is telling you to do something and you don't want to do it. And can I say this? God is bigger than your, your uh, God is bigger than your ability to make him mad because you say you don't want to do something. See, the problem with a lot of us is we keep lying. It's just being real with God that you have to be. God, I don't want to do this. And the first part is identifying the I. Identifying the I. And that's basically saying you got to tell God what you really want to do. Now, the funny thing about that is this. It's me identifying what my desire is. Because I will see, this is what I do. This is just me. You may not even have this struggle. But if I don't identify what my desire is, I'll think my desire is God's desire. I'll think it's hit. I was like, just because I want it, it must be you, God. So I have to identify, man, this is what I really want in this situation, God. And in Chicago, I don't want to go to Chicago. I want to stay right here, right where I am. The second thing you have to do is you got to be real and know the real issue. Guess what the real issue is? The real issue isn't about you being with that person or not being with that person. The real issue is, are you surrendered to God? Is God your, is Jesus your savior or is he also your Lord? Because when you say he's your Lord, that means you determine who I marry. You determine where I work. You determine where I live. You determine what I do. And the real issue isn't about the thing that you're asking God for. The real issue is your heart isn't surrendered to him. Y'all could talk back to me a little bit. I know you're like, whew. Yeah. Because here's the thing. The question is, do you want to walk in the blessing? Because you can do your own thing. And you can have the curse looming all over it. Can you imagine? You marry somebody without seeking God first. And the curse is looming all around your marriage. Because you don't know if that's who God wanted you to marry or not. Working a job, when things get tough, when things get difficult, because you don't know if it's what God told you to do, you're questioning if you made the right decision all the time. Should I have done this? But there is a confidence when you seek God and hear his voice before you take your next steps. That when things get difficult and things get hard, you're like, you know what, God? This is tough, but you told me to go. This is difficult, but you told me to be there. So you got to be real. And the third one, check your emotions. Just because you feel something don't mean it's God. Just because you want something really, really bad. God, I want her really, really bad. I want this really, really bad. So it must be you because I want it so bad. No, just means your emotions are unchecked. You got to learn how to check your emotions at the altar. What does that mean? That God, I don't care what I'm feeling right now. It doesn't matter what I'm feeling right now. What you say trumps what I feel. And then the fourth one and the final one. You got to let it go. You got to take whatever you want, whatever your desire is, and you got to lay it at his feet. And you say, Father, I give you full right of sanction or veto. 
If you say, no, I won't go. If you say, leave, I'm going to leave. If you say, don't do this, I'm not going to do this. If you tell me to do this, this is what I'm going to do. God, if you tell me that this is mine, that's when I'll pick it up. But until you tell me it's mine, I'm going to leave it right there at your altar until you tell me what to do with it. See, that'll keep you from sleeping with somebody before it's time. That'll keep you from moving into areas that you got to pay for. That'll keep you from giving birth to Ishmael's that you're going to have to pay for and take care of. When you lay that thing and you say, God, I let it go. And if we meant to be together and you've called us to be together, then you're going to work it out that we are together. But I'm not going to try and make it happen or force it to happen or try and cause it to happen. I'm laying it at your feet and I'm letting it go. Can I tell you one of the greatest enemies to this way of thinking? We don't like bringing stuff to God because you already know he's going to say no. You already know it's wrong. You already know you shouldn't go. You already know you shouldn't be involved in that thing. And because you already know this, you're like, well, no, I'm not going to include you, God, on this one. I got this one by myself. And then we love to say this. You know, we love to say, I'm grown. I can make my own decisions. I can make my own choices, famous last words for 20 to 25-year-olds. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I don't have to listen to anybody else. I don't have to do what anybody else says. I make my own money, drive my own car, pay my own mortgage, do my own stuff. I don't need to listen to anybody. I'm grown. And God is sitting back. Let's, Let's count this up for a sec. I was the one that spoke light into existence. The stars are in the sky because I placed them there. The moon is cascaded just right because I'm the one that put it there. The sun is just enough from the earth and moves on its axis just right so that you all aren't burned up. So you're going to tell me you grown and you don't need my counsel? And he's like, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. Let me bless you. Let me bless you. You keep going on your own way. and You keep... See, the challenge is going my own way, doing my own thing. I constantly have to live in my consequences. So my money is going to pay for consequences. I can't get ahead. My heart is going, my heart is so broken from all of the relationships that I got in without seeking you that when I get the right relationship, now you got to heal me from eight relationships so I can be ready for the right one. You keep being, you're, you're fired from jobs, but it's their fault. Five of them. And they don't understand you. And he's like, stop. Let me bless you. If. You'll hear me and obey me if you walk with me. I'll bless you so much that it'll give you overflow that you'll not only be able to take care of your four, but you're going to be able to take care of more than your four. If you walk with me. And there is a moment for every single one of us where we wrestle. And what I've learned to do in those moments for me In my wrestling match with God, as I say, God, but I don't want to do it, but not what I want to do. 
but what you want me to do. And I'll turn on my favorite worship song. And I'll begin to tell him how great he is and how wonderful he is. And I'll be in for a moment and I'll check my heart. And I'm like, I'm not there yet, God. I still don't want to do it. So let me stay a little longer. And then I worship a little more and I talk to him and I tell him I want to do his will. I want to accomplish it. I want to do the thing that he's telling me to do. And I check my heart and I say, dang, I'm not there yet. Let me stay a little longer. And there have been moments in my life where I had to stay there all night until my will conformed to his will. Because sometimes, it, sometimes God will ask you to do something so crazy, so unthinkable that you can't even imagine in the natural doing it. But I've learned in those moments, those are God moments. He, he specializes in the impossible, the unthinkable, the unimaginable. And I get the privilege of him doing it through me. So God shift my heart, shift my mind, shift my attitude. I don't want to miss what you want to do in this moment. God, I don't want to go, but I'll go if you tell me to go. God, I don't want to say it, but I'll say it if you tell me to say it. I'll preach it in shopping safe or snooks or anywhere you want me to go, God. And I believe that's where the blessing lies. We didn't know that when we made the move where we couldn't see anything, what God was going to do in the job for my wife. We couldn't see the other side, that it would be the first time that we would work together in ministry. We couldn't see the house that he had on the other side that was better than any house we lived in. We didn't see the relationships and the growth that we were going to get from it. We couldn't see it. We had to die to our will so that God could move us. And God always has something better. He always, always, always has something better. If you let that girl go, he's got one better for you. Hope you enjoyed that message. If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.